Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I'm Penny Lubinsky, and today we have an amazing guest, Prashant Sataskar. Prashant grew up in India. He came to the USA for his graduate in engineering. In 2010, he started a technology consulting company. He realized then that he was an entrepreneur, started getting involved in single family real estate. In 2016, he started getting involved passively in multifamily. After he realized the value of that, he started, he opened up his own company with his buddy and they right now own 700 units and valued at $65 million. Overall, Prashant has been involved in over 4,000 units overall. So that's a lot. <laughs> so with that, with that kind of experience, let's bring Prashant onto the show. Prashant, welcome. Thank you, Penny. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, pleasure is mine. So actually, me and Prashant met um, first last year at the Dealmakers Live from Michael Blanc. And um, that was a really great event. It was actually virtual. And a lot of the other events and meetups since then have been, have been virtual. And just something I'd like to point out, like it's interesting that if you would have told me a year ago that all the networking and all the connecting I'd be doing right now would all be over Zoom and so many people that I feel like I know so well, but really the relationship is only through Zoom. It's just funny, I wouldn't have believed you. But the silver lining is that I guess because you know, we do have this ability now to connect through Zoom uh, virtually, like we can connect with more people easier and it's become almost like a regular way of life. So now there are regular meetups happening weekly and monthly, um, connecting people from the West Coast to the East Coast and all the way across America. So, you know, that's definitely the silver lining I see in that. Absolutely. No, I mean, this is definitely here to stay. I mean, we definitely miss the personal touch, but hey, I mean, it's going to be uh, yeah, the common trend moving forward for sure. Just convenient for everybody. And I guess we just got to pivot and like learn to, to work with the new world as, as it is now. Absolutely. But to be honest, I can't wait to go back to the, to the old <laughs> world soon. All right, Prashant, why don't you start out by um, sharing with the listeners a little bit about your background. What got you started in real estate? What did you do before then? And why real estate? If you could just walk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you mentioned earlier, I grew up in India. You know, I was there for 22 years, came here for my grad school. So I did my engineering in the U.S. And then from then I went on to work. I kind of grew up in an environment. My family, my parents were employed. My uncles, cousins, everybody came from a the employment world, you know, and and the, when I was growing up, what was taught to me is, hey, get an education, you know, get a good job, just stick with the low risk path, right? And I, I just came here with that mindset originally, uh, come here, get an education, get a good job. And that's how I started. But I was good, as I was going through my life, I met a lot of people who were in business and, you know, entrepreneurship, and that really fascinated me along the way. But I really didn't know how to make that switch. So I spent 10 years uh, really in the corporate world as an engineer consultant. So I learned a lot. I was good at what I was doing and I really enjoyed what I was doing back then. But there was always an itch in me saying, you know, there has to be something better than this. You know, I, wanna, I, I need to 
do something different. I mean, I can't keep doing this for the next rest of my life. And I, I, I started reading books on business and, you know, figuring out how to get into business. And my first step was to be, you know, move from a W-2 to a con independent consultant. So I made that move. If you remember cash flow quadrant book, right? So those four quadrants moving from employee to self-employed. So I started that, that was my first step to getting away from W-2. So I became self-employed, became an independent consultant first, and then made a move to being a business owner. So I decided to start a consulting company after that, doing the same stuff that I was doing, but business and started hiring people and stuff. And along the way, while I was building that business, I was also dabbling in investments, you know, started with stocks and bonds, just like everybody else. You know, I, I experimented with investing in restaurants because restaurants kind of fascinated me back then, you know, let's try it out. That didn't, the investments didn't work very well. Then I moved on to real estate because I read a lot of books and Heard from a lot of people that real estate where you need to be from cash flow and perspective. So I started investing, buying single family homes back in the boom of 2000s when everybody was buying real estate, right? So I said, hey, let me, let me just try buy real estate. And I ended up buying a condo of all the things in Orlando, Florida in 2005. That was my first, very first real estate investment. And you know what happened in 2007, 2008, the whole market crashed. And I was there with my very first investment, lost all the money that I had done. I bought the property, you know, bought that condo for 175K. It had gone all the way to 300K on paper in the first two years. And then it dropped back to $70,000. Wow. So yeah. So that was, that was my first foray into real estate. And my gut reaction was, screw it, you know, real estate is not for me, you know, I'm going to run away from it, go back to my, you know, what I know best. But instead of that, I just gathered courage and decided to read up and change my mindset a little bit. And I knew there was something in real estate, I, I like the cash flow aspect of it. So I doubled down in 2010, 11, 12, and bought six more single families when the market was at its all time low. And that turned out to be a great decision. So I kind of went back in, into, you know, single family world and did well, obviously, you know, because I bought it at the right time and I like the cash flow. But my mindset at that time was different, right? The first one I bought for appreciation. I was thinking, hey, I'm going to buy it, like, just like everybody's buying, you know, I'm going to make boatloads of money. The price is going to go up. I'm going to flip it kind of stuff. But this time around, I wanted to buy for cash flow. So I'd done the calculations saying, hey, I'm gonna buy for this, I'm gonna make cash flow, you know, rents rented for this much. And no matter if the price goes up, I'm gonna make steady monthly cash flow. And that kind of stuck with me. So I kind of kept building on that portfolio a little bit and bought a couple more after that. But soon, you know, over time I realized that there's only so many that I can buy with my own money. Eh? And the two things that I didn't like about single families was management and the binary outcomes that I was having, right? If there's a tenant, I was getting rent. If there's no tenant, I was getting zero rent. So I started, you know, exploring the multifamily route at that point saying, hey, what if I, instead of having these six, seven individual single families, why don't I just go and buy like an eight plex, you know, 
so that I have everything under one roof, which solves my management problem. And you know, if one or two residents leave, you know, I can still figure out how to make the cash flow work, right? And in that quest to look for the eight, eight unit, I ended up in a multifamily group here in Dallas that was teaching, you know, how to buy multifamily complexes. And that's where I learned that, hey, you know, bigger is better. You know, you're better off buying a 60 unit and above rather than buying an eight unit and a 12 unit. And that's where I learned the whole concept of syndication and raising money from people to buy apartment complexes. I, I mean, this whole raising money syndication part was totally foreign to me, you know, at that point, this is like 2015, 2016 timeframe. But that's where I kind of ran into a bunch of people who were doing it already, got some firsthand experience from them, found a mentor who was willing to teach me, you know, how this business worked. And that's really where everything started. You know, I, I was just blown away by what I learned there and said, this is it. I mean, this is where I want to be. This totally makes sense. And this was 2016 again. And uh, I, at that time, I had my technical, you know, technology business. I didn't have a lot of time to kind of do it myself. So I started passively investing first. So I, I said, let me just try investing with others. And A, because I didn't have time, I wanted, I know I didn't. I didn't, I couldn't do syndication myself and B, just to learn, right? I didn't know enough about it for me to be a syndicator right off the bat. So I said, I'll start investing with others, see how they do, you know, their deals, how they communicate. So I did that for about six, seven months. I was almost in 2000 units pretty quickly because my wife uh, luckily was on board with it. Say, okay, this makes sense. Let's just go all in investing. I learned a lot through that process. Along the way, I met with my business partner, Shane, and we just decided to kind of, you know, work with each other, you know, and start taking the next step to become a lead GP and syndicator. So that's where we bought our first year, first property, 125 units back in 2017. And from then on, we went on to buy 142 units then we bought 172 unit and recently we bought a 265 unit. So it's been, you know, an interesting ride, you know, you know, pathway for me to get where, where I am, but it's been, you know, fun and enjoyable. And now we are doing this full time. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's incredible. I, I want to just, I want to point out one thing, how stubborn you were after the first property went bad and it lost value in the crash. You, you said initially your first thought was that, oh, real estate is not for me. I better find something else. But for some reason, something within you stuck to it and you believed in the process and you decided that this, you were going to make this work uh, for better or for worse. You were going to go after this. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I happen to be a very big fan of Gino Wickman, who talks all about tra the book Traction, EOS, and he talks about, all about entrepreneurs. And he believes, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is his belief, that only 4% of the population are cut out to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs by nature, are they don't quit. They're very stubborn. They have a lot of different characteristics. And he has a book, um, I think it's called Entrepreneur Elite, that I read a little while ago. And he makes you take a test, basically, to see where you fill out on the scale of being an entrepreneur or not. So I guess congratulations for being from the 4% that are, 
Because and by, by the way, Attraction is, you know, an awesome book. I'm reading it right now as we uh, speak. So I, lo I love that it, book. So. It's my favorite book. I, I just read it, I think, for the third time. So <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> book. But um, it's just amazing because most people, honestly, are not cut out for this. Most people are not cut out to be entrepreneurs. It's easier just to work a nine to five, get your paycheck. Uh, most people are not willing to take on the risk and are not willing to um, see a failure and then build on that failure to get to 700 over 700 units and 4,000 overall units to where you are today. It's just, it, it proves to me that you're a true entrepreneur and congratulations like for, for sticking through that. Something I'd like to touch upon is you mentioned that as you were getting started, you were getting involved first in, in passively investing. Um, and then after that, getting involved in actively. And a lot of our a lot of the listeners here in this show is geared towards people that are getting started in real estate, just, you know, getting their education, learning how to take that first step. So for a lot of the listeners here, they work their nine to five. They're too busy currently to, to, to be a GP, to be a syndicator, but they do have money to invest. And essentially a lot of them, the first move they're looking to make is to do kind of what you did and invest with a syndicator so they can reap the benefits and make good returns, uh, solid returns. I'm curious if you can help uh, these listeners a little bit with what they should be looking out for um, in a GP, in a syndicator. What are some questions to ask? What are some things to look out for, some pitfalls, uh, because you've been down this road before, that they can look out for so that they can you know, safely get into the multifamily game? Yeah, so I think, I think, I think uh, first of all, every investor should understand that this is an illiquid investment. Right, so it's not that's it's not not like a stock where you buy a stock you don't like it tomorrow you can sell it and get rid of it. Right, you're really talking about a five year five to seven year commitment. So so when you're investing with somebody, there's two things to look for: a the deal specific stuff. Right, hey, is the returns good? Is it underwritten correctly? You know, that's it. Meet your investment goals and all that stuff. So those are one set of question questions. But the other set, which is I think more important, is you know, do you know the sponsor? Do you like the sponsor? Do you like the sponsor's philosophy? You know, what is the track record of the sponsor, right? So those are the things that are more important and that you got to focus on, right? As any new investor, you want to talk to the sponsor, reach out to the sponsor. I mean, obviously, you'll have to set up a call because of the SEC rules and stuff, depending on how they're raising money. So get to know the sponsor and have that connection, right? feel you should feel comfortable with the sponsor that yes this person is going to be taking care of my money he's got the right mindset he's got the right business plan and if there's going to be any issues along the way they will be communicating and have you know have a good process in place to keep you updated on how the investment is going right you can also take an additional step where if you want to reach out with their existing investors go for it right reach out to them and see what their experiences have been so once you vet the sponsor themselves, and then the next step would be to look at the deal specific stuff, right? Because there's different kinds of deals out there, right? There's value add, there's, you know, yield, yield plays, you know, there are certain deals that have only back end, you know, heavy value adds where you don't, you may not have a cash flow component to it and there's a big upside. So that, all that depends on your risk profile, right? Some, some investors are, are willing to take high risk they can invest in certain kinds of deals, others may not. So there's different things to look for. And I think what's gonna boil down to is, you know, A, all passives should get educated, right? So they should understand how this business works first, high level at least, 
right? Understand the risks in this business, you know, in this investment, especially when they are not used, if they're, they've been investing in the stock market and this is their first non-traditional investment asset type, right? They should understand that. And then uh, finally, understand the terminology used in the offering package, right? So the offering package could be a bunch of different, you know, 10, 20, 30 slides of all this, uh, you know, real estate jargon in there with different returns and IRR and cash or cash and all this terminology. Uh, they should be able to see it and decide, hey, is this the right deal for me? Is this the right market for me? You know, am I ready to get into it? So there's different things involved, but I think if I were to kind of summarize, you know, get to know the sponsors and understand what that OIM is trying to tell you. Do you understand what's been presented in that? So essentially you're saying that they need to educate themselves just at least about the basic terminology to be able to understand what a ROI is and cash on cash and uh, um, cap rate and all the, all the big words that the syndicator is gonna be using so they can understand yeah. it. And then you're saying, understand the story of the investment. Like, what do they plan on doing to this property? What asset class? What's the value add play? What's all that? And then most importantly, sounds like what you're saying is you got to trust the guy, the actual syndicator. Like, you got to trust him that you're with him. He's, you know, leading the ship. Is he a responsible guy? Is he going to be responsible with your capital, with your money, you know, your hard-earned capital? Exactly, because one thing everybody needs to understand that this offering package that you get is a projection, right? It's not a guarantee. So you just because a sponsor tells you that you're gonna, you know, it's an eight percent cash on cash deal with a one point, you know, eight multiple doesn't mean that it's guaranteed you're gonna get that. It's their best guess estimate based on the assumptions they've made, right? And what is gonna get you through the project is a the sponsors you know, skills, first of all, experience, and who they are as a person, right? I mean, are they gonna, there's gonna be, sometimes the deal may not go exactly as planned. So is the sponsor gonna take, roll up their sleeves, make some adjustments to the business plan and still try to deliver the returns that you are? And are they gonna communicate through that process? So you gotta, it's a relationship thing. You gotta build that relationship with the sponsor and trust the sponsor you know, and feel good. You don't want to invest and be stressed out for the next five years and not know what's going on with your money, right? So just have that, build that trust with the sponsor. I want to dive a little bit into, um, as you were getting started, what did the path look like from when you decided you're going to find a multifamily deal? How long did it take till you actually got one? Do you know around how many properties you had to look at? Like, what did that look like? Just to give an idea, I know this was a few years ago, um, if you could just give a little bit of a picture, somebody starting out now, what should they be looking at? How patient should they be? Absolutely. So we, uh, I mean, I, I started kind of thinking about multifamily late 2015. So that's when I made up my mind saying, hey, I don't want to deal with the single family stuff. I want to get into the multifamily business. It makes sense. And at that time, like I said, I was just, multifamily to me was a 10, 12, 15 unit asset, right? I wasn't thinking large multifamily, but at least I started, you know, thinking multifamily back then. And the first thing, like I mentioned earlier was, you know, education, you know, I mean, that's what I believe in, you know, to my core that anything you want to do first invest in your education, doesn't matter what you want to do, right? So I started striving to go after, you know, where can I get educated and books is one thing. Yes, you can get a lot of information from books, but 
real world, talking to real people, going to meetups was the kind of education I was looking for. So I started doing that immediately. You know, I started going and searching for people who have done it, talking to people. And that's how I got exposed to these multifamily groups that are that have been doing this. So once I got you know, in the plugged in into the right group and I made the final decision that this is it. That was, you know, summer of 2016. And from that point on, I jumped all in, started investing passively, but then I also started underwriting deals simultaneously to learn how things work, right? Because I wanted to be a syndicator. And it took us, and I say us, meaning I ran into my business partner along the way, Shane, so we decided to kind of team up and kind of be like gym buddies, right? He was underwriting deals. I was underwriting deals. We were exchanging ideas, exchanging uh, tips and tricks that I learned and he learned. And we never really thought of partnering, but we were just holding each other accountable on what we were learning. So we must have underwritten, I don't know, probably 50, 60, 70 deals for the first, you know, first month or two, really, or I don't know, maybe three months or so. But then we decided that we will team up and actually start looking for deals. So it took us another six months. So it took us a total of nine months of underwriting deals and going out and visiting properties to really get our first deal. Okay. So it, it does take time. It does take time because you got to not only underwrite deals, but you got to build relationship with brokers, right? You got to build credibility with brokers because you're not gonna, they're not gonna take you seriously the first few times you talk to them and kind of build a system in place that positions you to kind of have those conversations with the brokers and have give you an opportunity to be in a position to win a deal. About a nine, nine month process, but that doesn't mean that every everybody takes nine months. I mean, we've had colleagues who were who landed a deal within three months. There were others who took longer than what we did. So it just depends on what your criteria is, how much time you want to spend, right? At that time, we were working full-time and doing this part-time. So even though we were spending 20, 30 hours doing underwriting, it still was kind of a part-time job for us, right? So it just depends on everybody's second, but it takes time. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a little bit of luck uh, to get, get land your first deal. I think that Honestly, like for, for me, for my understanding, nine months is actually pretty good. I, I've spoken with a, a good bunch of people that, you know, were took over a year or, or even longer. What it comes down to is staying the process, like staying through. Stick with the process. Stick exactly. with the process. Just keep doing it because it, people are following this process and getting deals. So yeah, it's going to take a little bit longer for somebody just starting out for any, all the listeners. Um, but essentially, if you just continue to stay true to the process and don't quit, then you will land your first deal. And then from my understanding, once you get the first deal, um, the second one comes a lot easier and a lot quicker. Much, much easier, much, much easier. First deal is the hardest, but everything after that becomes much easier because A, you know, your conversations are different. You know, when, when you're calling the broker before your first deal, you know, sometimes you may not even get a call back because you're a nobody, right? You don't have any track record. The brokers obviously are busy, you know, but once you get your first deal, everything changes. You know, you 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 have better conversations with brokers. You get better deal flow. You 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 build your own confidence too, right? You've been through the process once, and you know you you you've been there. So so we got our first deal uh, about nine months. Then 
the second deal after that was six months within that. And then the one after that was three months after that. So it was pretty quick, pretty quick after that, you know? Right. And uh, what, what advice would you give the listeners um, to get, tr- uh, to get the brokers to start trusting them? Because essentially a lot of people starting out in this business, they feel like, and I know I struggled with the same thing. I'm still in search of my first multifamily deal. Um, it's that the brokers, you know, that not that they don't take you seriously, but they have their preferred buyers already. They all have their preferred buyers and they obviously only get paid if the deal closes. So they have their people that they trust most, which, which makes sense. And that, that, you know, that that's understandable, but how can somebody that's just, you know, fresh getting started in real estate, obviously, you know, there is time and involved and patience, yeah. but, but what can they do to, to start getting the brokers to start trusting them a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, for, for, first and foremost, I think, you know, read up, get educated and get comfortable with the language, right, that the brokers use. You know, I mean, simple things like T12, rent roll, you know, CapEx schedule, you know, cap rate, the, 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 the terminology being used, right? Be very, very comfortable with that. At least sound like you've invested some time, you know, in understanding all these components that are there, right? And then when you do call the broker or choose to call the broker, make sure you have a very, very specific criteria that you you figured out, right? Whether it's size of the deal that you want, type of the deal you want, say, hey, it's a C-class, again, looking for a C-class, 50 units to 75 units in these sub-markets, you know, whatever those, the more specific you are, you present yourself in better light to the broker. Right? The, the broker sees you at, hey, this, this guy is not all over the place. You know, they know exactly what they want. Right. And, and even after the first call you make, you know, obviously that first call is going to you know, create an impression about you. But keep following up because these brokers are busy. It's not that they're trying to dis- be disrespectful or anything. Like you said, they already have their first top five, top five buyers lined up. But keep be consistent, right? I mean, if you call them today, make sure you put it on your calendar and call them in two weeks and another two weeks and just keep being in front of them and keep, you know, sticking with the same story on what you're trying to go, go after and, you know, your criteria. So you're in the top of, top of their mind, right? And, and it'll happen. Sooner or later, it'll happen. You know, they know that, you, you know, because we, we run into a lot of people who make that first call and then just wait for the broker to send them deals. Not going to happen. Right? Right. The broker doesn't know you, remember you, or whatever, right? They've got 50 other people calling them. So, so just be consistent, have a very specific criteria, and just keep at it. I mean, it, just keep at it. It's not, it, you'll get there once, once you're, you know, have a long-term vision, right? Got it. So essentially, we're, we're seeing the same, uh, we're seeing the same trend of stay consistent. If you in almost everything in real estate or anything as entrepreneurs that they're embarking on the journey, consistency is probably the biggest key, you know, to, to reaching the success that that they want. Um, anyways, all right, Prashant, let's move on to the to the final four questions. These are more rapid question answer type. Um, all right, let's let's get right into them. So you're doing all this, you're, you're hustling, you're building massive portfolios, you're investing passively, actively, you know, buying massive apartment complexes. What's your why behind all this? Well, I mean, I think uh, the why is, you know, to achieve freedom, right? Financial freedom, you know, freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. I've got two kids who are growing up and, you know, I want to be, I have the flexibility to spend time with them 
when I wanted, right? And along the way, really, if I can uh, enrich other people's lives or make other people's lives better, that's gravy, right? And which is what exactly what we are doing, trying to achieve financial freedom while helping investors get returns and helping our residents have a better living environment, right? We have 600 families living in our communities and our goal to our goal for our communities is to improve all these communities. So it's, it's bringing me great satisfaction that, hey, I'm touching so many lives and giving better quality, uh, you know, environment for them to live in. So that, that's really what drives me, what, what I'm doing. Awesome. What is your favorite book? There are lots, actually, and I was going to say Traction was one of the newest one that I'm reading, but the mindset, I think the first book, obviously, the mindset side of things was, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? I mean, maybe I come from a, you know, employee mindset, you know, so that, that was my big one, and a lot of your re- listeners might have already read it, but I still read it, you know, reread it all the time to just keep my mindset. But from a, a, but from a relationship side of things, you know, Dale Carnegie's How to Build Friends and Influence People, that, that has been a big impactful book. And now Traction is the one I would highly recommend since you brought it up. I mean, I'm reading that right now. And that was gifted to me by my business partner for Christmas. I, I somehow I missed that book, but that's a perfect book for anybody to start who's starting a business, you know, very easy read and very step-by-step way to kind of, you know, uh, systemize your business as you're building it. Yeah, amazing. Totally, definitely agree. Um, all right, what advice would you give somebody just starting out in real estate? Get educated. That's the first one, and get out of your comfort zone. A lot of lot of us are not naturally extroverted, but this business, if you wanna get into this business and stay in this business and thrive you'll have to get out and network, 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 right? Get out, meet people. I mean, whether it's now it's in Zoom, get involved in meetups. If you have a possibility, I mean, if you have a desire, start your own meetup. And that's what I did, right? I have a meetup here in Dallas. Uh, that's that, that was a way to kind of meet with a bunch of people, you know, make your mark. But Build those relationships, get educated and build those relationships are going to be the two most important things to get started and be patient. This is not a get rich quick, quick business. So think long term, stay consistent and build your process and, you know, things will happen over the long term. Right. I, lo- I love what you said about the, the, the extroverted thing. I think so many people struggle with this because you know, honestly, probably half the world or maybe even more are more towards the introverted side. They're more quiet. They like to do things. On their own. Yeah. If no, they can that. slowly train themselves to start getting out of their comfort zone, that will be, you know, how, how valuable would that be in real estate to, to start getting out of your comfort zone, being comfortable, meeting, connecting with people. You're going to need it for investors, for brokers, for partners, for every part of the business. And just that that's just massive. That's that's massive right there. Absolutely. I mean, you can't survive in this business, you know, without a strong network, right? I mean, this is all about, like you said, I mean, the only way you're going to get the investors is going out and networking. The only way you're going to connect with brokers is going out and making those calls. So just get out of your comfort zone, you know, break through the fear and uh, you'll find success. Right. And do it now. Don't wait for next year or two years because eventually you're going to have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Taking action. I think that's, that's, that's a big 
you know, big thing I, I, I do want to tell your listeners is don't uh, spend time, you know, kind of analyzing and paralyzing all this stuff too much. At some point, yes, underwrite deals. Yes, you know, do your education. But at some point, you got to type up the LOI and send it out there. It might be way off from what the whisper price is, but that's okay. Send that LOI out. That's the next step. You know, at least you'll get closer to it, right? I mean, there's no point in just keep it underwriting deals because we keep running into these a uh, lot of new people who call us and hey, I've written 300 deals. How many LOIs have you sent out? Zero. <laughs> that's okay. Send out the LOI. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, What's your favorite hobby? I'm I'm a big sports guy. I always grew up, you know, playing a lot of sports, but. Uh, you know, I used to play a lot of squash, racquetball, you know, but as I'm growing older, I can't play those anymore, high impact sport, but now it's golf. <laughs> I play a lot of golf now. Cool, very nice. Um, if, um, where, where would you say is the best place for the listeners to reach out if anyone has a question, inquiry, or just wants to connect with you? Absolutely, we love, I mean, I, I don't wanna say this, but I, we love educating people. If you, you, the best way to reach out to us is go to www.catequity.com. So that's C-A-T-E-Q-U-I-T-Y.com. And we have tons and tons of blogs and educational articles on our website. So we, we host meetups, we host, we post articles, we have videos, so we enjoy teaching people. So love, I would encourage you guys to go on our website and you know, read up on some of the stuff. And you, they can also reach me directly at Prashant, P-R-A-S-H-A-N-T, at catequity.com. Awesome, and well, you've definitely, you've definitely done an excellent job of educating here today on the podcast. And I really definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing all the value with all the listeners. And uh, looking forward to having you back on some another day. Thanks a lot, Penny. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Take care.